0: Welcome back to yet another episode of Ramy Umptum Ruminations. My name is Scott and I'm the host. Today's episode will be just a little bit different format and it is called One Last Thing on the Planet of Salvation. Just going to say this. I promise that this will be my last episode on the plan of salvation for a while. <laughs> this will be my third one in about a month. And I promise this is as much as I have to say on the subject for a minute. Well, honestly, this episode, it's going to be mostly some of the comments and the interactions that I've had with listeners that uh, really added to the discussion. And I felt like They should be highlighted in their own episode. So I'll offer a little bit of commentary, but the majority of what I say is in this episode is going to be based off of the comments of you guys. One of my favorite things about this community is the dialogue that we have back and forth on some of the concepts. I don't like to answer all of the questions I present. It leaves space for you as the listener to engage in the conversation and... That is very rewarding for me. Now, I haven't done the shameless self-plug in a minute, so I'll do that right here. If you're not interested, you can skip forward 30 seconds or so. I would greatly appreciate you as the listener to go out there and leave a review, hopefully a five-star one. It won't hurt my feelings if it's four, but I might get upset if you do three or less. (laughs) Share it with a friend, leave a comment. That way we can get the word out and we can expand this community. And if you are financially able, I would greatly appreciate any donations that you might be able to afford. If you head to the RemyumdumRuminations.org website, you can donate directly to me. Or if you go to the Mormon Discussion Podcast website, and if you donate there, it goes to the general fund that gets, uh, gets around to everybody. You can do a one-time or a monthly recurring, even if it's a buck or two a month, it, it is greatly appreciated. This episode is going to be, as I said, largely made up of comments from the listeners on the subject of the plan of salvation. So I'll jump right into this. I won't pretend to be the smartest one in the room. I won't pretend to be the smartest one in this conversation. I am constantly learning new things, and I appreciate the input from the listeners, So these comments are coming from both of the episodes that I did earlier this month on the plan of salvation. For those that haven't listened to those episodes, feel free to jump back. They are episodes episodes numbers 48 and 49, and they were released in April 25th of 2022 and then April 30th of 2022. For brief context, getting into this, the bulk of the first episode was questioning the concept of uh, fairness as it pertains to the plan of salvation. And to highlight this aspect, I discussed briefly the story of Laban, but through the lens of Laban as the main character and some of the problems with the story, morally speaking, when you look at it from the lens of the these are air quotes, the bad guy, most people consider themselves to be the good guy, even if someone else sees them as the bad guy. And so the best villains in all the stories are the ones that that are truly driven by what they feel is a valid motivation, but this valid motivation for them drives them to do morally gray things. If you've seen the recent Dr. Strange movie, this is Dr. Strange 2, The Multiverse of Madness, no spoilers. So don't, you know, you don't have to skip ahead or anything. All that I will say on this is the villain in that story embodies this principle perfectly. They are driven by an excellent motivation. They want something that is objectively good. They're willing to go to extreme lengths to bring about this end goal that is good. And the thing that I really liked about that movie, again, I'm not saying any spoilers. They contrasted really well the motivations of the heroes in the Marvel Universe and how their actions can be viewed in this exact same light. Early on in the movie, Doctor Strange sits next to someone else who had been snapped and vanished for five years. And right off the bat, they put into question whether or not that decision for Doctor Strange to give the Time Stone to Thanos whether or not that decision actually was a good decision, even though it ultimately led to Thanos uh, to the death of Thanos. Was it the right decision? Did their sacrifice of those five years and the countless deaths, was it worth the decision to give Thanos the time stone? And they put that, that concept in contrast with the main villain of this new movie and this whole concept of morality and what you're willing to do to bring about a good thing is front and center in this movie. And I loved it. Now, I will say it's not my favorite Marvel movie, not my favorite multiverse movie, but still a great watch. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to like jump into movies right off the bat. The point of that whole <laughs> that old rant was to illustrate this this aspect for Laban. So this first episode that I came out with um, is the Planet of salvation fair. We focused on Laban and The fact that he may have been a good father, he may have done excellent things in his life, and he may have had a good reason not to give Nephi the plates, the brass plates. But he gets lumped and, you know, condemned in the story, and God condemns him. The next episode, episode 49, I related the plan of salvation to a standardized test, and it quickly became clear that the plan of salvation is not a standardized test. The circumstances and events and trials and problems are unique to every single individual. Now, whether you believe in the church anymore or not, that's kind of beside the point uh, for this discussion, because it's objective. You can, you can look and examine this world. You can observe that everybody's circumstances are 100% unique. Now, if you look at it through a theist's lens and take this stance that plan of salvation is God's plan for all of us to reach back to his presence or her presence or their presence, but then you contrast it with the way that this world actually operates, you come up with this discrepancy where suddenly it is not a fair or standard test for everyone. Now, I didn't explain many of the implications when I did that these couple of episodes. I just kind of wanted to present the problem and you as the listener can think about it and come to your own conclusions on it. And that is precisely what so many of you guys did in the comments and through messages to me. Really, really excellent dialogue that we had. Now, the first one that I want to I want to quote, this was from a listener uh, by the name of John. He said, I really enjoyed your treatise on the subject. There are two important points that I feel have not been fully explored concerning free will and the implications on judgment. And then he lists these two points. He says, one, if God is omniscient and knows absolutely everything, then we have no free will. It has nothing to do with God's actions, but with his knowledge. If he knows everything, that includes the future. If he knows our future, God knows every action we will make in the future. It's kind of like, in his mind, we have already done them. We can't choose to do something different than God knows how we will do it. That would make God not know everything, leading to a paradox. God both knowing everything and not knowing everything at the same time. If we can't do something different, then we have no choice, no free agency. We will do what God knows we will do, and we will end up where God has always known we would go forever, and even before we were created. We have no choice in it. And his second point, he says, this one is even more disturbing. If God knows everything, he also has no free will. God can't choose to do an action that changes the future that he already knows. That leads to the same paradox where he both knows and doesn't know the future simultaneously. That means that all of his actions have always been determined. God's future is determined and he has no free will. If neither we nor God have free will, then judgment is meaningless. I completely agree with this listener. And that was the implication I was trying to present by juxtaposing the plan of salvation right after discussions of free will and determinism. Now, if you listened to the episode where I chatted this with Bill Reel, which was a lot of fun, you're welcome to come back on the show anytime, Bill. You probably picked up that Bill stands in the camp of hard determinism, where there is no such thing as any choices that we make. And I sit in the camp of soft determinism, where the majority of the things in our lives are already determined, but we do have some small power to make and affect change in our lives. Now the concept that this listener is describing is called theological determinism. This is one of those subjects that you can use scriptures to both back up and argue against, but it's the concept of preordination or foreordination into a calling as a prophet or whatever the whatever the aspect might be whenever we talk, whenever there is discussion of this patriarchal blessing talking about what your future will be, this is a form of theological determinism, something that cannot change because God already knows that it will happen. And that's precisely this this sticky point for a a theist to grapple with. If God knows everything, then he is omniscient, all-knowing. That means he knows the decisions we will make before we make them. It also means That he, if he created this system, he created it knowing that so many of us would fail. And perhaps, you know, when I was a believer, the way I thought about this was that perhaps this flawed and chaotic world that we live in was the best possible solution for getting the most people to come back to Heavenly Father. And that was the way that I looked at it when I was a believer myself. So if there if there are any active believing members listening, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on this subject. How can you grapple this concept of free will with the idea of an omniscient and all knowing God? So, John, thank you so much for this comment. Such a great concept to think about. I'll move on to another comment from another listener. This one was from a listener. Ka Bo It's just C.A. space B.O. If that's not how you say it, then I'm sorry, but that's just how I read it in my mind. (laughs) So this listener related also having thought about the death of Laban while being an active member in the church. And so I'll read some of this listener's words there. They were fantastic and they really added to the conversation. Ever since I was a teen, I was so bothered by Laban's death, which is when I started to question the Book of Mormon. I questioned Nephi being commanded to kill and the commandment thou shalt not kill, as well as why God commands Nephi to kill, making him break a commandment when God himself could have taken care of, and these are in quotes, Laban in a myriad of different ways. However, when I asked about this discrepancy, I was lovingly shut down with the typical generated answer that we don't have all the answers. Therefore, justifying the need for a prophet and the need to exercise faith and that Answers come in the Lord's time or in the afterlife. I roll my eyes now, but as a lazy and not so resourceful teen, this answer, although unacceptable, did suffice for the time being. Little did I know I would be I would use this reasoning for every other questionable scripture, commandment, gospel doctrine, church history, leader, leadership, guideline, etc. And then uh, the listener puts in a quote from uh, Stranger Than Fiction. And uh, they, they say this line. Little did he know that this simple, seemingly innocuous act would lead to his imminent death. (laughs) So so the listener, um, Ka, continues, Thinking out loud about deterministic reality that you and Bill have previously discussed, 2 Nephi 2 talks about how agency to choose came about. This person cites uh, 15, 16, and then 23 and 25. And to bring about his eternal purposes in the end of man, after he had created our first parents, and the beasts of the field and the fowls of the air, and in fine all things which are created, it must needs be there was an opposition, even the forbidden fruit in opposition to the tree of life, and one being sweet and the other bitter. Wherefore the Lord God gave unto man that he should act for himself. Wherefore man could not act for himself, save it should be that he was enticed by the other, by the one or the other. So here we have 2 Nephi 2, 15 and 16, right there in the scripture, claiming that free will does exist when we have these choices. But it bumps into this concept of an omniscient God, where he is putting trials in our way, or problems or or difficulties that we have to face, knowing that we will pass or fail before the test even happens. This listener continues, something that that bothers me greatly is that God would purposely place us in a lose-lose choice method of operation. To name a few, Adam and Eve. The don't partake of the fruit commandment, but go forth and multiply commandment, therefore disobeying one commandment in order to obey another. The same with Laban and Nephi. Thou shalt not kill, but Nephi is commanded to kill Laban. The principle of cleaving requires loving a spouse with all our heart. And when the Lord says, all thy heart, President Kimball taught, it allows for no sharing, nor dividing, nor depriving. President Kimball also taught, this listener cited conference uh, 1962, President Kimball also taught the words, none else eliminates everyone and everything. And then the polygamy polyandry commandment in contrast to this cleaving unto your spouse and none other. The point that that they make, and I'll jump down a little bit, Therefore, we are set up to disobey. It's our fault for disobeying. Puts us in a situation where we need to repent for disobeying. I love, I love where this listener is going with this line of reasoning because it sets up the way that this, the the plan of salvation functions on so many instances where we are commanded to do two contradictory things to both not kill, but then also kill sometimes where we are commanded to cleave unto our spouse, but then also to marry multiple spouses. And uh, the listener cites, um, you know, a number of things along those lines. The contradiction is we have to be clean from sin to enter the celestial kingdom. But we had to sin in order to follow God on many of these instances. And it creates this this really strange contradiction. Now, I've got some... uh, so a lot of thoughts on the uh, Garden of Eden story. I won't share those right now, but um, I will briefly say that <laughs> the way the Garden of Eden story is presented, it sounds suspiciously familiar to thought control and um, information control, with the fruit of knowledge of good and evil being restricted from Adam and Eve, and then you have the serpent coming in saying, no, 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 guys, you actually really need this in order to see the world fully. Anyway, I think there's a lot of parallels and a lot of stuff we can discuss with that subject, and, uh, but I'll, I'll leave that for another day. Another listener by the, uh, the name of Hopeful Agnostic had a few things to say about the, uh, the Laban story as well. <clears throat> this listener said, Lucifer wanted to damn us to live with God and damn, and then in parentheses, stop our progression by removing agency. While God's plan could result in us in our being damned to live without God forever, while God himself could intervene to dictate whose agency is cut off before they repent, it feels like God gives us moral agency while he exercises immoral agency. I think that's a really interesting take from this whole subject of the plan of salvation and agency, because it sets up a scenario where if God is omniscient, He knows when people are going to make mistakes, or hurt someone else, or do any number of of uh, things that would be objectively wrong, but He doesn't step in to intervene to help the innocent person. Perhaps I perhaps I should reword it like this: For a theist, they're going to believe that God does step in on occasion. So then, the question I would answer, what I would ask, is how does God decide? which innocent people to save and which to leave to the to the devices of of the world or which to leave to the devices of humanity such an awesome line of line of thought hopeful agnostic i had another listener um by the name of uh ernie say this awesome thing a couple things i wanted to say i think the most unfair part of the test and this is referring to episode 49 I think the most unfair part of the test is not having knowledge of actually taking a test. Sure, there are some other world religions that see life as a test, but not in the way the LDS do. First thing to make it more fair is God needs to pay everyone a visit and let them all know (laughs) they're now being tested. Second, I think the way people rationalize the unfairness is God said it is so or set it up. And since God can't be unfair, then I am the problem or my understanding is the problem. Excellent comment. Excellent insights. Thanks. Thanks, Ernie. I think there are a lot of different ways that someone might rationalize this contradiction. And I'm not here to tell anyone what the right way to believe or the wrong way to believe is, whether that's agnosticism, atheism, theism, whatever it is, find the thing that jives with your soul. But I I love having this discussion With someone who thinks differently differently than me being able to ask this sort of a question how would you rationalize this or what what is the answer to this sort of a problem with an omniscient god and the unfair systems that govern this world how do you rationalize that sort of a subject or that sort of a of a concept to an extent a final judgment uh, does play some sort of part in in justifying or in uh in sorting out the unfairness of life But I don't know that this concept has been fleshed out fully. And perhaps some some parts of the theology need to be left behind in order to uh, view the world more accurately and put it in line with a loving God. Again, this is just me postulating. I think the way that a theist could rationalize this sort of a thing is to put God um, as all-loving, but not all-powerful. If you took away that description from God and said, they are not all powerful, but they are all loving. In effect, you are saying that God cannot intervene. They are incapable of intervening, but they are still all loving. And I think that's an interesting line of reasoning. Again, I've just, just thrown things out there. The last comment I'll bring up was actually something that Uh, Peter Bleakley said in the interview I had over on 21st Century Saints that was uh, posted two weeks ago, um, episode 50 of the podcast. He had been listening to this discussion and his main takeaway. And it's something that we should all consider regardless of where we find ourselves on the belief spectrum from completely atheist to completely theist, wherever we find ourselves on that. Peter's takeaway was excellent. And if you didn't hear it in his words, you should go back and listen. I I don't know exactly where it was, but it was in the first half of the episode. (laughs) Maybe one of the listeners can find a a time, a timestamp for me and, and throw it on there. Anyway, Peter said that his mind, as he was analyzing and thinking about the unfairness of all of this, he came to the conclusion that we should have more understanding and compassion for other human beings. And I loved that this concept that we all have complicated and hard circumstances, and they're unique to us. Our challenges can be similar to other people, but no one is going to have the life experience that you have. You get your own tailor-made experience on this planet, your own unique parents, siblings, friends, enemies, disasters, and problems. Everyone's experience is unique. And I completely agree with Peter on this. We need to come to the table when interacting with other human beings with compassion. Because we don't know what they're going through. We don't know what circumstances brought them to the point where they're at. Even for the most heinous person, you know, we could use the, the Hitler example or, or any number of people that, that have done objectively horrible things. And if we come even to them with an ounce of compassion, you'll quickly realize that someone had to teach these people to hate. Sticking with Hitler, the anti-Semitic rhetoric that influenced the Nazis had been circulating for a hundred years before the Nazi party even came to power and did all of the horrible things that they did. So on one hand... Those that, during World War II, committed horrible atrocities, they were handed that belief system by someone before them. Now, does that absolve them from their mistakes? No. But it does give us a little bit more compassion to see that they're not entirely responsible for it because they didn't invent that line of reasoning. That's an extreme, I know. That's not going to be your everyday situation. If we can use that sort of a concept when we're dealing with other people in our everyday lives, we'll have a powerful impact on how we see the world around us. Anyway, I, uh, <laughs> as I said at the outset, the bulk of today's episode is just going to be comments from the listeners. And I appreciate everything that you guys said fantastic discussions. I try to respond to everyone. Um, I apologize if I if I don't get a chance to respond to everybody. I, I usually only look back at the previous episodes like a week or two. So if you reply later than a week or two after it came out, uh, maybe shoot me a message on Facebook instead because that way I will be certain to see it or on the website. If you post it on the website, I will see it because I don't. I don't always get notifications on on YouTube if you post comments uh, a a while after it was uh, released. One last thing before I I, uh, sign off the air. Um, I have been watching Under the Banner of Heaven. I'm all caught up on the episodes right now. I've taken lots of notes and I'm planning on doing a Ramyumptom Ruminations breakdown of my thoughts on it. And I've got some really interesting... Um, there's some really cool things that I've noticed, uh, both with the cinematography. There's actually some really cool lighting stuff that they've done. Anyway, got lots of notes, lots of really cool things to say. Look forward to that. This episode is episode 52. Thank you for sticking around and listening to this episode. Uh, formats a little different than some of my previous ones, but I do this occasionally. So if you're new to the podcast, I love interacting with the listeners. I love giving uh, credit where credit is due. Because you guys are so smart and you think about this stuff just as deep as I do. And it shows in the way that you guys comment and interact on the various platforms. I've got some exciting news. Coming up next month, I will hit my one-year podcasting under the Mormon Discussion podcast brand. It should be around the middle of the month. I'm going to do a little bit different format, and I want to throw out to the listeners that You can ask me whatever question you like, personal or otherwise, and I will answer them in the episode. So send those questions to me however you'd like, and I will answer them in the middle of next month for my one year podcasting birthday celebration thing. So wherever you find yourself today, sitting at the office, in the line of the grocery store, wherever you are, I hope that you have an excellent day.